Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to see you. It is great to be with you today as we continue today in our Table Talk series, where we're discovering this truth that good things happen around tables. And today we get to look at what it means to go to the table of unoffendability. Yes, I just said that word. I don't even know if it's a word. I think I just made up that word, but we're going to use it today. We're going to the table of unoffendability. Now, here's my premise. Our culture is addicted to offense, right? Our culture is addicted to being offended. Uh, It's on every platform. You go to TikTok, you go to Instagram, you go clear up to Facebook. I know that's mostly, you know, grandparents, but they even go there. Offense is everywhere. For us in our culture, offense is more than a pastime. It is a way of life. Offense often defines how we live. So many types of offenses, so many ways to be offended, right? You can get your food offenses. You know, you got your gluten-free people, your dairy-free, your flavor-free, usually involved in that. Am I organic? Am I vegetarian? Don't even get me started on vegan. There's a lot of moves around that. You can offend someone simply by offering them toast. How dare you offer me carbs? Are you crazy? Bacon? Don't even try. There's a whole lot of complexity around bacon. Don't just give me chicken. I want free range, no chemicals chicken. I want to know, was that chicken loved in his life? Did that chicken have lots of chicken friends? Or was he kind of a chicken loner? You know, the types, the the chickens that don't blend with the other chickens. You could offend someone by feeding them a a loner chicken. No, I want a a chicken with friends. A well-loved chicken is the only chicken I will eat. So many possible offenses, not just food. You got driving offenses all around us. Starts with being offended that we drive at all because that does burn fossil fuels after all. And then the offense that takes place while driving. Did I cut you off? Did I drive too fast? Am I driving too slow? We're going through construction. There's big signs that say merge like a zipper. It's like we don't know how zippers work. We don't merge like a zipper. I don't know if it's the Velcro thing. If it's messed with us, we don't know how to use zippers. But, but you're supposed to merge like a zipper, and we don't know how to merge like a zipper, and everything backs up. And even if you drive perfect in our town, you, you could just, without knowing and without meaning to, accidentally just flatten a bike rider who's not paying attention to any of the rules at all. And that bike rider is then offended at you. So those are driving offenses. Then there's the shopping offenses. Costco has so many ways you can get offended. You know, samples, waiting on samples. People don't like it when you wait on the Costco samples. When they're not quite out of the toaster oven, and I know I want a tiny corn dog, but they're not out yet, and I'll just wait. I'll just set up the line. And people are like, wait, you're supposed to move past and come back here. No, no, I'm waiting for them to come out. I want them fresh. They don't like that. And they really don't like it when you double dip at Costco. Don't do that. You know, that happened to me. They gave me a big chip. I dipped, I double dipped. The lady was all offended. Well, don't give me the big chip. Don't give me that big chip. It's not fair. I'm offended at the chip size. Oh, there's lots of shopping offenses. Then schools, you know, everyone's offended at schools. You know, we... We don't even like to call it a Christmas program. It's a winter celebration, so we spend two hours singing about the weather. That's, that's fun. 
Universities, <laughs> I'll talk about offenses. One university organization banned clapping at all events because they thought it might trigger the nervous students. In UCLA, students got papers back with spelling corrections. They staged a sit-in to protest that, <laughs> saying that spelling and grammar corrections were a form of microaggression. Clemson University declared that expecting people to be on time to class was culturally insensitive. It's offensive to expect people to be on time because time might be considered fluid and in some cultures. So if it's a 10 a.m. class, well, we can just show up at four, right? <laughs> well, let's see how that works out. But there was a fence around it. It seems that we have become so very fragile, so very offendable that just a difference of opinion is enough to send us off the rails. Some of us could even be offended by the fact that we're talking about being offended today. Now, I understand some of the origins of this. There are many ways that we have not been kind to each other in, in our language, in our expression. And the pandemic took this already existing problem and it amplified it so much. And it seems like we have swung so far now that we're offended by everything and we're offended by everyone. So we're living in this constant state of, of anger or conflict or disgust. And we find ourselves, I think, longing for peace. So that's where we begin today. That we learn what it is to sit at the table of unoffendability, that I could be at peace in the midst of my often offended culture. And now that table of unoffendability, it hinges on what took place in the ancient synagogue, which is where our story today takes place, because the synagogue was the place where Jewish people went to feast on the word of God. That was their table. And it's at one of these feasts in the synagogue, Jesus is teaching. He's presenting to them the bread of life in words. And instead of being grateful and amazed, the people are offended at him. They're angered by Jesus. They're suspicious of Jesus. And in their offenses, they miss out on the life that Jesus was offering to them. If only they could have learned what it looked like to live unoffended. And the first truth of offense that they embody is this. Offense reveals a choice made by people. Let's pick up the story. It's Matthew 13, starting in verse 53. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices, go. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. See, Jesus had already started his world tour at this point, at least ancient Palestine, that was his world tour. He's already healing folks. He's freeing people from demons. He's teaching about the kingdom and people were excited 
about what was going on with Jesus. But as part of his tour, he swings through his hometown. Now, usually with touring artists, well, that's the big win, right? All the hometown fans come out. It's reunion. The local DJs are interviewing you. They're making appearances at all the hot spots in town, which is basically like the, the well to get water in the market. But man, he's showing up there. He's everywhere. And it should have been this celebration. Look who's back. But no, not here. Now, once again, Jesus begins to heal and set free and teach just as he had done in great success elsewhere. But here at home, they weren't having it. <laughs> no. Wait a minute, we know this guy. This is Joe's boy, right? He helped cut the stones for my house. He bled on one of them. I remember it. His brothers used to play in that field. Remember they got in a dirt clod fight and found out that it was donkey manure? You know, remember that time? That was him. We know him. We know his family. We know the names of his, his brothers, the names of his sisters. So what's the big deal? Why all the celebrity? Why is he so important? And because they knew a part of Jesus, they thought they knew all of Jesus. Same thing can happen to us. Well, because we know a part of Jesus, we think we know all of Jesus, but guess what? There's always more to know with Jesus. They're mad that Jesus could possibly be more than what they had known Jesus to be, more than average, and maybe even asking for more than the space in life that they were giving him, that Jesus would have the nerve to outgrow them, to rise above them, to challenge them. And they were offended. And sadly, that can be true for us. That someone in our sphere maybe breaks out and does well. They just do super good, but we find ways to cut them down. Oh, they just got lucky. Or, you know, they knew somebody. Or, you know, they're not that great. I'm not a fan. And that's the great sadness that we find here. And it's this. Their offense was a choice. They didn't have to be offended. They chose it. Others had encountered Jesus. They had experienced healing and provision and a changed life. But they chose not to see who Jesus was. Rather, they chose to see who they thought Jesus should be. And they missed Jesus. Friends, in life, offensive events are guaranteed. Being offended is optional. Our offense is always a choice. In fact, what I'm really doing in offense is I'm handing you the keys to my emotional state. And I'm saying, why don't you drive? <laughs> here's the keys. My, if my cars, if my emotions are a car, here's the keys. You get to drive them now. You get to decide how I feel. You can take me wherever you want. You can go off-road with my emotions. You can redline my engine. Of all the freedoms that we have in life is the freedom to respond that is the most profound. And this is what we give away in offense. In offense, we give that freedom away and say, no, you can drive. Saying, I've got to be offended, right? No. I don't. <laughs> Too often we act so limited in our ability to respond. Like, like there's just no other option. 
As though our life is, is like a school cafeteria with the lunch lady. Now, now, I've met in my life many, many nice lunch ladies, but the lunch lady of my memory in childhood would have been kind of a cross between a, a Russian KGB agent and a biker chick. That was kind of how, how she rolled. And uh, you'd say, what's for lunch? And she'd be like, well, what day is it? And I'd be like, well, Thursday? Well, there you go. Thursday means mystery meat casserole with lime jello and carrots. Who ever thought of that, by the way? Why do you put the carrots in the lime jello and you slice them all thin? Why was that ever something we decided was all right? I don't know why we did that. But she'd say, that's your option. Mystery meat casserole, lime jello with carrots. That's, your, that's the menu. No special orders. If you want to eat, that's what you're eating. It was one way. <laughs> Well, we do the same with our responses to possible offenses. This happened, so I must be offended, right? I have no choice, no option. But the truth is we always have a choice. Our responses are, are not like the lunch lady at that cafeteria. No, our responses are more like Cheesecake Factory. Giant menu of responses, like a book. Just so many things you can have, so many things you can choose from this giant menu of responses. They're all available to us. The fact that you are offensive does not automatically require me to be offended. I can choose. Folks around Jesus in this passage, they encountered the same actions, the same triggers, the same possible slights. Some chose to be offended, some chose not to. But it was only those who didn't choose offense that got to experience Jesus to the full. So maybe there is something in choosing not to be offended. Maybe there's wisdom in that choice because it allows me to be unhindered in what God wants to give me. That's the first thing. Offense reveals a choice made by people. Here's the second thing. Offense diminishes God's value of people. Let's continue the passage. Matthew 13, 57, big voices, go. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Jesus is really saying to them, I've had honor everywhere else except here. The great tragedy of this passage is that they chose to withhold honor, and Scripture reveals, of us, reveals to us that the principle of honor is essential to God's blessing. In fact, Jesus says, if you'll honor me, I can honor you. If you will honor me, I will honor you. Matthew 10, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. See, honor, it's like the glue of relationship. It's the rope that ties us together, and dishonor pulls us apart. There's this myth that most interaction that people have is just sort of neutral, just sort of ordinary. No, every interaction we have with another person either pulls me towards them or pulls me away from them, and it's all based on honor. Like uh, a little bit, a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, Paul and I are driving down River Road, and uh, we're in the car, and we just watched this transpire. A block in front of us, this car on the other side that's going you know, towards us, just 
careens across the lane, across traffic, diagonal, super fast, and hits a telephone pole so hard that it snaps and it just kind of breaks out. Like it's not just bent, but it breaks and falls. And the power lines fall on top of another car that's going this way, the same direction we are. Everything stops. And we see the transformer blow, boom, and it's just sparks everywhere. And this car is, you know, now wrecked into, into this place. And suddenly, you know, traffic stopping. We stop. I pull out. We, I, I get over. I, I run up there. And, and we're calling 911. And, and we're trying to make sure people aren't touching the power lines. And it's this really, really intense moment. And so we're, while we're waiting for the fire trucks to get there, and they, they came really quickly, which was great. Um, there's this, I'm in, I'm kind of on this yard of a person who lives on River Road. And this man comes out, he, he tells me right away that he's in his 90s. And he says, you know, I've lived in this house for more than 60 years, in the same house. And he, and he starts to tell me his whole story. And I was, I was asking him questions about what it was like to live here. And he was such a fascinating man. And he had, he had patents on some, some computer things for, for the mills that were running that, that was a big part of his life. And, and, and there was so much that he was just able to share this wisdom from this person. In the midst of this crazy circumstance, I ended up getting this incredible history lesson because there was honor in it. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was able to go, man, I, I so appreciate that you've been here this long. Tell me about what that's been like. And because there was honor, it brought us closer, not farther apart. That's what honor does. Honor closes the gap relationally, but dishonor always increases it. Why? Because honor and dishonor is how we communicate value to one another. So when I take offense at you and dishonor you, I'm actually expressing a reduced value of you. It's like um, a few times we've, we've ended up uh, in Salem, there's a goodwill there that's not a normal goodwill. They call it the outlet. People in that thrifting world call it the bins. Okay. And it's different than a regular Goodwill or thrift store because instead of like getting an item and there's a price on it, you basically pay by the pound. <laughs> you know, it's just all, and it's all the stuff that has gone through all the other Goodwills and nobody bought it. And so it's like the island of misfit toys and all this stuff ends up here in these big bins and you just go through these bins and you pay by the pound at a very, very discounted rate. And so the deals you can get there are incredible. And it was because they had been to all these places, nobody bought them. And so because nobody bought them, their value had been greatly reduced on all these items. I have to ask, how often do I do that with people? How often do I pass over people? I mean, sure, I wouldn't say anything mean, but instead I would just not say anything at all. I wouldn't elevate another, maybe not encourage another I leave a person with nothing passing them by. Essentially, that's what these people did with Jesus. It was a lack of honor. Being offended inherently leads to dishonor because it makes me diminish your value. I mean, think about it. How do you feel about the person that you just allowed to offend you? Do you like them in that moment? <laughs> no, you can't stand them, right? 
You villainize them, and they are now the enemy, and I'm so offended by them. And you think of fun ways to offer them discomfort. If only I had a scorpion right now, and you know, some, you know, a tight shirt, I could just put it in there, and I, you know, I, that's what I, you know, you think of ways. The truth is, I can't love someone that I'm offended by. Yet Jesus calls us to love everyone, which includes potential offenders. Either I'm offended, which means I can't love you, or I love you, which means I can't be offended by you. Now, this has nothing to do, don't hear me wrong, this has nothing to do with correction. This has nothing to do with teaching good boundaries in relationships. This is about inviting people to God's better way. It has everything to do with my heart. Will I elevate others or alienate them? Will love come first? We're told in Corinthians that love is the only thing that never fails. And guess what? Offense always fails. Jesus is always elevating the value of people, and he calls us to do the same because offenses diminish God's value of people. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Offenses limit God's activity in people. Offense limits God's activity in people. We'll finish the passage, Matthew 13, 58. Big voices go. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Here's the great tragedy. Because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of honor, because of their offense, it says in this town that Jesus did not do many miracles. I mean, maybe he healed a few backaches, maybe he helped a couple of sprained ankles, but nothing big. They missed out on so much because of this. Holding on to personal offense delays personal healing. There is a great price that is paid when I carry offense. And that price is a limitation of God's work in my own life. That place of hatred, that place of judgment, that place of impatience, it creates a black hole in my life that not even God's light can penetrate. Mark actually records the same event describing the response of Jesus in this way. It says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Mark says it wasn't just that Jesus didn't do miracles there. He gives the idea that Jesus couldn't do miracles there. Their offense actually limited what Jesus could do. You say, how is that possible? Isn't Jesus all powerful? Can he do everything? Yes, but we're not. And so as human beings, we have only so much capacity to carry stuff. It, it, it's like this. Here, here's what I mean. When I, when I traveled uh, to Chicago, um, a couple weeks ago, I, I brought home souvenirs, but I hadn't prepared on bringing back souvenirs, but I found some things. I went to the, the Starbucks reserve there with the people I was with, and I'm not even like a Starbucks person, but it was really, really a cool place. Five-story Starbucks, all kinds of levels, all kinds of special coffee stuff, but there were some mugs there that were really cool, so I got them as souvenirs. And they came in really cool boxes. And so, but I didn't think about bringing back souvenirs when I packed for this trip. And my suitcase was already full when I came. So when I had to add these souvenirs, it was crazy full, super duper full. I could not fit anything else into my luggage. 
I maxed out my bag. I could not fit one more thing. I say that for this reason. In life, we have only so much carrying capacity in our emotions, in our spirits. I have only so much carrying capacity. I can either carry offense or I can carry love. Or for most of us, we end up carrying some mix of the two. Okay? Let's say 60% love is what I'm carrying, leaving 40% for offense. It's sort of a blend. But what it means is that whatever amount of offense I choose to carry, I'm forfeiting carrying that same amount of love. Because we're finite. We have capacity limitations as human beings. We can only carry so much. But sadly, we often take this precious space in our lives and we allow offense to use it rent-free. It tears up our hearts. It tears up our lives. It costs us greatly. And all the while, Jesus is waiting, saying, would you make room for me? Would you do a spiritual yard sale and get rid of the offense? Saying this stuff has to go. Because in my choice of offense, I limit the room for God's blessing. Our hearts toward Jesus actually determine our gifts from Jesus. Some of us, I think we want to experience the miracles of Christ without bringing honor to Christ. I want God's blessing. Yeah, I want God's miracles, but I also want to hold on to my own offenses and, and I want that blessing on my terms. And Jesus' response to us is, I can't do that. I love you too much to be a miracle vending machine. Jesus is saying, even if, I gave, even if I wanted, if I was to give that to you, there's not room for what I want to give you because it's occupied by offense. Jesus always wants our hearts. We sometimes just want his hands. Just do the stuff, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, but I, I want your hearts. Just do the stuff. Even if I'm not in your best, Jesus, I just want you to do the stuff. Jesus was never about showing miracles for miracles' sake. His miracles were the result of a selfless love, never a self-promotion. It was always about restoring our hearts in love. So the great tragedy is this. My walking in offense towards another does nothing to limit God's work in them, but it does much to limit God's work in me. I pay because in my offense, I leave God with no choice but to withhold blessing. Offense is a poison. And friends, some of us eat it three meals a day. It's separating us from God. It's keeping us from God's best. And it must be dealt with for our sake. Offense limits God's activity in people. I'll wrap up with this. In Matthew 11, Jesus is asked by the disciples of John the Baptist, they're like, are you the guy? Are you the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for? And Jesus' response is very instructive to us. He says, well, tell John this. Tell him the blind see. 
the lame walk, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, and the poor hear the good news. And then he tells them this, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Why would he have to say that? Because we get offended by Jesus all the time, especially when he asks us to lay our lives down, when he asks us to lay our rights down, when he asks us to lay down our offenses. Jesus wasn't trying to fulfill their version of Messiah. Jesus was fulfilling God's truth of Messiah. And he was acknowledging that people may look at all he does and still say, wait, Jesus, I wanted you to do it like this. I wanted you to show up like this. I wanted you to heal that relationship. I wanted you to, to keep that loved one alive. I wanted you to stop that tragedy. I wanted you to keep me from having to make that hard decision. And what we're really saying in those moments is, Jesus, you're not my God, I am. And we're offended by Christ. And yet Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. The one who fully trusts, even though they don't fully understand. That's where we are invited to go today. Whatever you're walking through in your life, that we could choose not to be offended to value God and others in an elevated way and to make it possible that God can do 100% of what God wants to do in my life because I have given God 100% access to my life. It's not taken up by a fence anymore. And additionally, I would say to some, life for you has been like picking up stones of offense over and over again and you've been carrying them with you and you know today your pack is heavy. It's time to put those burdens down. It's time to lay those burdens at the feet of Jesus. He says, come to me. All of you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for your soul. You've picked up offenses like stones for years, for a lifetime. It's time to put them down. Jesus says you don't have to carry that any longer. Lay down your offense today. And finally, be free. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.